Say so. Hi. <laughs> All right. Episode 26 of the Close Book Podcast. I'm with my uh, grandmother. My mom. A.K.A. B.T. Thomas. Say your full first name. Dr. Barbara <laughs> Thomas. Dr. Uh, author. Author of several books. Name name two. Uh, from the Heart of a Blessed Temple and My Tears Are a Prayer. All right. Am I in one of those books? Yes, you are. When I talk about the family, you're my can man. C-A-N, Christian Anderson Nettles. All right. Most of, most of them knew my full name. Well, my first and last, but they probably didn't know my middle name. <laughs> now, they, now when they see me, they were like, oh, Anderson, Anderson. So the, this is my grandma, um, Barbara Thomas, doctor, author, grandmother, loving, nurturing. Uh, she's also the woman that helped raise, well, she helped raise my mom. Um, and I just want to get, before we get, because y'all see the title already, before we get into our discussion, uh, who is Dr. Barbara Thomas? Where does she come from? <laughs> I am from Philadelphia, IA, better known as Philly, but I raised my daughter in Newark, Delaware. Newark, Delaware. What, 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 when were you born? When, like, let's get that. When were you born? I was born in the 40s. I'm not going to tell you exactly when. Late 40s. Late 40s. So how, because you grew up in Philly. That's the north, right? Yes. And did you did you visit did you visit the south a lot at all? No, not much because my grandparents had all passed except for my grandmother and my parents. They weren't too particular about what they had seen and learned growing up in the south. Did, so, how was during those times during the forties? We grew up in the fifties, mainly. How was how was uh, how was racism? Then was it was it as bad as the South or was it like a little bit easier to get around? I think it was uh, harder in the South. It was more, I want to say, devious. Um, there was more a lot of more undercover things like the uh, KKK and things like that. But also uh, growing up in Philadelphia, like you said, in the 50s, it was still somewhat, I mean, you were told to stay in your place. If you're white, you're right. If you're black, get back. So you were, I know you were born after the whole Emmett Till situation, right? You were born after or before? I think after, like a couple years, like three years after, right? Because that happened like in 1944, I think. Um, and you, yeah, so how, how, like when you heard about the Emmett Till situation, how did you react? Uh, I didn't learn about it. We didn't learn much black history or things that were going on uh, growing up in, in the North. But as an adult, when I heard the story, it really bothered my spirit. You, you grew up with a lot of siblings. Uh, let's go down the list of all your siblings. And if you don't mind, let's see, uh, just let, let us know if they're like deceased or, or they're still alive. Okay. Well, well, list them in order. My father called us his magnificent seven. My mother and father had seven children. The oldest was my sister Mary, now deceased. My brother Lawrence, he lives in Texas. And then myself, I'm the third of seven. 
And then fourth would have been my brother, Tommy. He just deceased recently. My sister, Penny, who deceased about two years ago. My sister, Brenda, who deceased a while ago. And there's still left the youngest also, my sister, Kathy. She still lives in Philadelphia. At a seven, three or two passed away, right? Three. Three or left. Three or left. So four passed away. How, yes. And you being the middle child, like how does that, how does that make you feel um, watching your siblings pass away? It was hard. Um, actually, being number three, uh, we were kind of split up. It was the big kids, which were the the four older ones, and then the little kids, which were the three younger ones. And I never thought that I would outlive some of my younger siblings, but that's just the way it happened, and it's just it's just weird sometimes just thinking about growing up in the projects, growing up in a large family, but I thank God for the history that, that we had as the Washington family. Would you mind speaking on the death of your parents? Um, I know your father happened when you were like a teenager, right? Or, or like you were like – your because – my mommy was born right when he oh how old i don't think mommy was born no i don't think so i was um i was already married i believe i was married like at 19 so i, be, I believe i was already married my father died he died of a heart attack mm -hmm. and um he had had several he had had a stroke but he was a strong man strong in faith and so, you know, we we miss him a lot. Um, and then my mom died in 07. Um, I had just moved from Delaware to South Carolina, and I tried to get her to move with me. And because of her history and things she had heard and seen when she lived in the South, I believe she was from Tennessee and my father was from Mississippi. She never wanted to live in the South again. So she always said, you can always come back home to Philly and visit me, live with me, whatever you want. But she was my rock when it came to, to prayer and to going through a lot of challenges that I went through in life. All right. So you were married at 19, uh, Papa Ronnie. Yes. Who died in 1988. Yes. Mother mother was 16 years old. Um, and he's the only, he's one of the grandfathers that I, like, he's the only one that I never met. Um, I came, like, 16 years later, I think. Ronald came five years. I think Morgan came, uh, like, eight years after, or ten, eight, nine years after he passed. Um, how, when, when Pop-Pop Ronnie passed away, what do you remember your initial reaction? Do you remember what was going through your mind at the time? At the time, um, I didn't believe it. I didn't want to believe it. And like you said, your mother was 16. And uh, I think the hardest thing was telling her because her and her father were so close. So my pastors at the time, uh, Gary and Faye Whetstone at Victory in Delaware, they came with me to the house, and it was around Christmas time. I remember the Christmas tree still being up. He died in January, and um, for them to tell her, it made it easier. But we went through a lot of grief uh, separately and 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 together. But it but it gave us a different bond. Do you? How do you think? Um, 
how do you think we would have uh, reacted or interacted with Papa Ron if he was still alive? Oh, my gosh. He loved kids. He loved being a daddy. Um, we had so many spiritual, uh, we used to call them our godchildren, mm. girls and boys. And we always wanted two or three children. We only had the one. And he would have been so happy and so proud to have so many grandchildren. All right. So speaking of grandchildren, you have three, right? You have three. Me, yes. Me, Ronald, Morgan. How 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 was it like when you was because Ronald was the first one? How like how is your reaction like? What is your thought process to being a grandmother for those three times? It is so. Each one of them is so different, but they're all loving. They all have something special about them. When I pray for them, I pray for all of their futures. Ronald is um, someone who has great potential that he hasn't realized yet. Morgan is walking in um, what my mother prophesied when she was a little girl. She was always very confident that she would either be a doctor or a lawyer. And today she is a doctor. And then my number three, he has potential to do all kinds of great things in business and in communications. And that's why I call him my can man. And the scripture that comes to me when I think of him is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ. And he's living up to that potential today. Thank you. Um, so let's that was a that was a long backstory, but we're <laughs> gonna get to um society versus back then versus now. And I always wanted to ask you, when you like, cause you grew up, you was born in the forties and you grew up like through pretty much a lot of eras and decades. And so what's a, what's a huge difference that you see in my generate, like my generation now versus your generation then? I think the biggest difference is respect. Um, there, there's a lot being said by uh, your generation among themselves. You know, I need respect. You disrespected me and all that kind of thing. But our respect was for the adults, for our parents, our grandparents, for any adults. And it, it wasn't just, you know, say thank you or show your appreciation. It just became something that, that we did automatically. And looking back now, it's, you know, it's a shame because the young people today, they miss out on so much by not being appreciative, by not being respectful. So it's a, it's a big difference. It's been coming, it seems like, for a while. But now it's like in your face, you know, disrespect. And um, hopefully, you know, eventually the young people will get back to it. But it takes parents and grandparents to uh, enforce it as well as for the young people themselves to want to do better. You speak, you speak a lot on respect and um, social media back then wasn't uh, available to you guys. And so when you see, when you look on the internet now, like Facebook, Instagram, you see that disrespect is was popular um, and it gets the most views and clicks and stuff like that. Pretty much all the nonsense. Like what, how, how do you think, people back then would react to that well it's 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 sad because people back then would have never thought it would get to the place where it is i remember uh when i was graduating high school i was in academic and um 
to tell you a little bit more about how old I am. I went to the counselor's office looking for money to go to college. My parents couldn't afford it. And um, my counselor came in and she asked me, what was I looking for? I was looking through a catalog. And I said, I'm looking for money to go to college. And she said, "Uh, where do you live? And I said, Raymond Rosen Projects. And she said to me, black kids from the projects do not go to college. And I was devastated because I knew we couldn't afford it financially, but it was a desire of my heart. So, And we were taught, if you're white, you're right. If you're black, get back. So, you know, even respecting all adults does not necessarily mean that adults are right, but we had to show respect. And I realized even, even when they're wrong, it's better to walk away. Right. Why do you think, why do you think it's so hard for people now to walk away? I think because people are, are more vocal, young people are allowed to say whatever they want to say, get away with whatever they want to say, and they learn younger from from the internet, from uh, different venues, television, from the street, from their uh, peers, that they can say whatever they want to say and get away with it, whereas you know, we got plucked in the mouth or we got told children should be seen and not heard. Those kind of things were definitely reinforced in the family and in the home. And it's not that way anymore. When you, when you say like television, social media, do you think because um, our phone, our phone nowadays is a very powerful, powerful tool. So when, like, say you lose a fight or something right nowadays, you lose a fight, you got, like, 10 people recording you, posting it on all the pages and stuff. And then why do you think, do you think that's a, wait, do you think that's a huge reason why people feel like, especially my age, around my age, or feel like they're more obligated to use, like, guns and stuff like that? I think, I think because there's a lot of insecurity uh, among themselves They put anything and everything out on the Internet thinking, well, I have so many views and I have so many friends and uh, it's, it's not real. I mean, you're not communicating with those people one-on-one, face-to-face. So they feel as though on the internet or what, what the, those kind of things, that they can say whatever they want to say. And um, they don't realize that everything you say has a consequence. Would you say, would you say the internet is, a, is like a drug? Like it's like an addiction? Oh, yes. It's definitely addictive. I mean, I don't do a lot, maybe Facebook and, you know, send a text message every now and then. But it's like, you know, everybody, if you don't have a phone in your hand, then what's going on? And when I look around and I see children, uh, six, seven, eight years old with a phone, you know, it's like the, the, the communication is not as clean and as pure as it would have been with an adult being there to make sure that you're saying or hearing things that are proper for your age group. How do you think, all right, let's say y'all have phones, like cell phones like, like that we have back when you grew up. How do you think y'all would have been back then? It, well, let, let me tell you, I think it would have been so different because when I was growing up, we had rotary phones. Uh, at one point, they had party lines where more than one person could pick up, you know, and hear your phone conversation. But also, your parents were there. The phone was attached to the wall or sitting on a desk so other people could hear what you were saying. So you were more cautious 
about what you said and you also understood that what you were what you were saying could be heard by other people and could be misinterpreted so let's talk about um violence right you know you grew up um and what you saw on tv the news um a lot of protests where things turn violent police officers spraying people with water hose getting dogs you hear about lynchings and stuff like that which those things still happen to this day but how do you feel about um black on black crimes like how do you what do you think about that Okay, well, first of all, when you say violence, my father was an avid cowboys and Indian watcher. Mm -hmm. And he always felt as though, you know, he, he would say, shoot him, get him, bang, bang. You know, it was entertainment. And now it's not entertainment. It's, it's a part of society, sad to say, that has increased more and more all the time. And um, I, I still to today wonder where all these young people are getting guns and, and, and getting all kinds of things to kill one another. And they don't understand that death is final. You know, it's it's just a matter of you disrespected me or you said something I didn't like or, you know, you talked to my girl or my boy the way I didn't want you to. So they shoot each other and they don't understand that that person is gone. Your life is gone. And that, that family, all families that have anything to do with it are impacted. So a lot of it is the thoughtlessness of your actions, that there are consequences to every action. And a lot of the actions of young people today are needless and also negative. Do you blame that more so on like um, our environments or the music or both? Oh, definitely both. But the music is, is one of the greatest detractor from saying and doing the right thing. Um, a lot of times, you know, I'll say to, to young people, listen to the words of a song, not just the beat or it sounds good or who the person is. And people don't understand. I've been reading up a lot on some of the so-called stars of today. A lot of them have issues. They've grown up with issues. So, that, you know, they rap and they sing and they dance. They do a lot of negative things because they're hurting themselves. But young people think that that's a good thing to emulate these people and you don't know their story. So you don't know why they do the things they do. And they think it's about the money. Money is a detractor from doing the right thing. Like when I look, when I go through, cause you know, I, I got vinyl records and stuff and I go through like all like the catalogs of music that I have. And, um, I, I can, I can see it. I can see like a huge difference in the beats, the lyrics, um, do you think how powerful do you think musical artists are now like back even back then do you think they're as powerful as they were then or are they more powerful now i think it's uh, a matter of timing but i if you say powerful i would say more powerful now but back then it was you know all about you know being my friend my boyfriend my girlfriend it was Definitely clean compared to the stuff that goes on today. And, you know, w when I look at it, you know, we would say, you know, uh, my boyfriend's back or soldier boy, something like that. Whereas now little kids two and three years old are dancing to music that's sexual and subject. 
uh, suggestive and they don't even know what they're listening to, but then they're dancing to it and trying to emulate what they see older young people do. I remember when I worked, remember I used to work at the summer camp. I think I told you this, uh, and then we used to like have ice cream every time the kids would clock out and stuff like that. And the, the ice cream man or woman, they was playing, um, they know the song. It was by Cardi B, Megan Thee Stallion, WAP. They like, they was playing that, and it was like a sexual song while the kids were getting ice cream. And I, my eyes just opened like, wow, y'all really playing this around kids 13, 10, 5 years old. So um, I definitely see, I definitely uh, agree with all that you said. My opinion, like growing up in it, it's like different because like back then, you know, my generation, we looked at it as like, well, most of us would be like, oh, that's boring like or lame, like the stuff that y'all were doing. Mm-hmm. And but we're. It wasn't like to y'all it was fun, you know what I'm saying? But we think it's lame because we're used to doing all this extra stuff that we're doing now. Like the music that we listen to, the first thing that gets us is like the beats, um, the hard 808 type beats, the rap beats, the beats that with the loud bass. Um, but once we get hooked onto that beat, we eventually start knowing the lyrics um, and then we eventually start saying it. So how do you feel? Like, do you think... Do you think music, do you think music, do you think some music should be banned? Like, Oh, yeah, definitely. Because, you know, as, as you were speaking, I was thinking a lot of the music that's out now, the rap music and, and some of the some of the R&B crossover, that kind of thing, it makes you desensitize to something smooth, like they say, smooth jazz. Mm. And uh, when when rock and roll first came out, I mean, it was uplifting. You know, it, ma- it made you happy. It made you want to dance. It didn't go any further than that. Right. And now the, the, the purpose of it is how much sexual uh, words or connotations can I get away with? Um the ones, the ones that that seem to be most popular are the ones that the most disgusting on the stage, as far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned, and showing body parts and doing things that they shouldn't do in front of little children, let alone you know teenagers and older. And I think that it started when uh, parents stopped taking control of their family, of their homes, and saying, no, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do that. And then everybody felt, well, if they're doing it, we're going to do it too. And doing it because everybody else is doing it will never make it right. Right. When you talk about, um, like, the woman wearing, like, less clothes and stuff like that, like me, i never been like a – I never really talked about it because – I really haven't had anyone to talk to about with so, but I have you. So, when you were growing up, how how did the woman dress when you grew up? Oh my God! I mean, as soon as you said that, I thought about the Supremes and the Temptations. They wore suits. They wore tuxedos. The women wore gowns. They wore jewelry. They dressed up to look good, to make their sound sound good, to make people interested in looking decent. I mean, you know, one of the things that I thank God that you and not so much Ronald, but especially you never got into is the pants hanging down, you know, with the underwear showing. A lot of things that people do, they do it because everybody else do it, but they don't know the history behind it. Like the sagging pants had to do with sexual, uh, homosexual men in prison. 
But young guys on the street, they think it's cool because everybody else is doing it. And just because everybody else is doing it doesn't make it right. And it says something about you. It says, I'm a follower and not a leader. And we're all called to lead in some aspect of life. I, I definitely agree with the sagging part. Like when I was in high school, um, sagging was like, that was the norm. You know, like sagging was cool. Uh it was cool to have a belt on, but still be sagging at the same time. And I would just see like the teachers just let them let them do it because you know they're so they're so used to it. And I think that I wasn't a product of my environment, which is another episode. But I was never a product of my environment. Like I was never really a follower. Like sixth grade, like my first day of school, middle school, I wore like a bow tie. And I had the picture. So um, do you think it was more leaders then? Because, you know, you had Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, stuff like that. Um, do you think it was more leaders then or do you think, you know, more leaders now? Because, you know, we all have leaders now. But do you think they were more powerful back then in a good way? Uh, more powerful back then, like you say, in, in a good way. As soon as you said that, I thought about Malcolm X. I thought about Martin Luther King. I thought about, you know, leaders. Um, it, I mean, if you really think about it, who wants somebody walking around looking like a bum being in charge of anything? Mm-hmm. Whereas the, the men that dressed for success are the men that generally did succeed. And when you said, you know, you wore a bow tie the first day of school, I am so proud of that. Mm-hmm. I watch a show called uh, Young Sheldon, mm-hmm. and he's a scientific genius. I mean, he's in college at, I think, 11 years old. But he always wanted to wear bow ties. He wears bow ties to school and meetings, and he talks to adults. So they respect him. Even though he's a child, they respect him at a different level because he looks like somebody that knows what they're saying and somebody that goes somewhere. And, you know, I've heard the uh, phrase a lot, dress for success. You got to look it to be it. That That's all That's all a part of uh, making things better in your life and making things better for others. As a leader, you need to set a good role example. And clothing do make a difference. So in conclusion, where does Barbara Thomas see herself in the next five years? It's funny you said that I've had a lot of medical challenges in the last, I'd say, 10 years or so. But I was talking to a pastor in Delaware when I was there a couple of months ago, and he wants me to go with him to uh, Rwanda next year. And um, even though, you know, slower and medical challenges and everything, I still have a desire in my heart to go because there's things I still want to learn, things I still want to share with other people. So in the next five years or so, I expect to be stronger. I expect to, to be traveling, uh, missions and teaching. I love the nations because God so loved the world. Mm-hmm. And so we know when, when, it, when it comes to family, I want to see all of my family succeed. I want to hear everybody is doing better and I want everyone to give God all the glory. Amen. Amen. And I love my can man. Mm-hmm. Do you have any questions for me? Why now 
<laughs> this interview and where do you expect to be in five years? Why now? Uh, I mean, when you when we were around me, we talk a lot um, just about history and stuff like that. So um, and now since I'm doing this more frequently and more seriously than I was a year or two ago, I thought this would be the perfect time right before 2024. And in five years, uh, I'll probably be like having my own business, still doing this and or probably a uh, manager of a hotel or something like that. Wonderful. That's where I see myself five years. Anything else? Yeah, I, I just want to say you don't know how much I love you. And I think we don't say it enough. And um, I love all my grandchildren. But I just want to say God has blessed me so much just watching you guys grow up becoming and I know that there's so much more in store and I thank God that you have your head on straight you got a plan you got a purpose and all things work together for good whether it seems like it in the moment or not don't stop trying the only failure is to stop and we are not called to stop we are called to continue to go and to grow God bless you God bless you and God bless everyone watching this was episode 26 of the Closed Book Podcast with my grandma, Barbara Thomas. I love you guys. I'm out. Peace. God bless. <laughs> that was cool. Yeah, that was fun. Wow.